He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, and bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then David begins to name the benefits of the Lord to his soul. And among those benefits that he lists are some powerful verbs. Who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with chesed, the Hebrew word, steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. And then he works that out as he talks to his soul and comforts his soul. Now come to think of it though, maybe sometimes I should talk to myself like this. This morning we'll talk to God like this. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we do not speak to ourselves enough about your attributes which would bring healing to the very points of pain that we frequently experience. But this morning we do cry out to you, the God who redeems, for we are a people who find ourselves frequently falling back into sin and into the manacles of our own making and into the cell block that we have assigned for ourselves through our own sin. We cry out for your mercy and your steadfast love to us for we have suffered from our own injustice, our injustice to others in the things that we have said and done, the injustice that we have experienced in our own person for our short tempers and those other qualities that we write off as personality quirks and are content, sadly, to live with. Redeem us with your steadfast love from those things. We confess that you are God, our healer, and we are sick. Yes, we are sick with sin. It has infected us. The original sin has spread to all of our parts. As we have come to you and been forgiven, there is an eradication of the root which feeds the flesh. And yet we confess with Paul in Romans 7 that there remains a residue of the poison within us. And we pray for the Spirit's sanctifying work 
to remove the poison. We ask that you heal us, for you are the healer. Jehovah Rapha. We live in a fallen world where the residue of sin from the fall has infected every part of creation. And some of us are experiencing that in our bodies and in our minds and our spirits, in circumstances, in relationships. We see the the weeds growing in our garden and the constant fight to keep the, the weeds and the pest away from our summer tomatoes. And we are reminded that weeds growing up in our own bodies, legions and cancers and tumors and As we grow older, it seems as if there is an army of afflictions that turn against us. And we are very grateful for the knowledge and the wisdom and skill that you have imparted through common grace to our wonderful physicians who express the healing of Jesus in their work, whether they believe in him or not. And we're blessed to have some of those in this congregation and nurses and technicians and researchers and others, healthcare providers. But we know that ultimately you are our healer and we await the day where there will be an ultimate healing, where the world in which we live will be healed and a new heaven and a new earth will replace this world that we live in east of Eden. And we know that it is already at work for as David confessed that you are the healer, even now your healing through your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, is moving through the world, through time and space, through history, until that day when there is a cataclysmic inbreaking of the kingdom of God and Christ himself appears in the heavens when they are rent in twain and the spectacles and the crutches and the wheelchairs and the graves open and all of your people experience ultimate and final healing even over the last enemy death. Jehovah Rapha, our healer. But today some of us suffer even as we look unto that day and we pray for your comfort, your presence, and your hope. And our hope 
is firmly established in the resurrected and the living Lord of life, even Jesus Christ, who taught his own to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. you stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, which is today taken in the Old Testament from Exodus chapter 15. And I'll be reading verses 22 through 27. And then I'll be reading from the New Testament in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. And I will read 21 through 25. This is the inerrant and the infallible word of the living God. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water, and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. And from the New Testament, the first epistle of St. Peter to the exiles in Asia Minor in chapter 2, he writes about submission to authority and also about suffering. And I pick up at verse 21. For to you, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example 
so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord will endure forever. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Sometimes the hardest part of the journey is the beginning. Not the very beginning, but the first part of the journey after the beginning. Not the wedding or the honeymoon, but the first month or two of marriage when the electric bills and student loans and in-laws and toothpaste caps and garbage on Tuesday sets in, that beginning. Not the months or years of waiting for the new pastor and then receiving the new pastor. Not that beginning. Not the beginning with the new pastor and his wife being welcomed into the congregation and a new day is before you in the life of a congregation, but the first part of the journey where you begin to sense that the new pastor sounds different in his preaching than what you were used to, where his spiritual vision for the congregation sounds like something you've never done before, that beginning. The first part of the journey is a place that you may be on right now. Not the time when you receive the acceptance letter to the college 
of your dreams, but the first class or two where you begin to see that your professor is not so excited about you being in her university as you were about getting in. The beginning. The beginning can be a hard place. That requires a response that sets the pattern for the rest of the journey. It was a very exciting time when my wife and I finished up seminary and we accepted a call to be part of a new church development to plant a church and a school in Overland Park, Kansas, suburban Kansas City. It had been the focus of my senior uh, thesis. I had spent a long time developing demographic work and uh, I had been prior to seminary actually a, a layman who was involved with developing a long-term vision for a long-term strategic plan for developing the Midwest for the Presbyterian Church in America. So we were very excited to, to return. I, I, had, I had turned down a, a very uh, stable call to a large church as a staff minister in order to go with this dream. And there we were at the beginning and it was exciting to be uh, ordained, installed, and my wife and I to look out and finally be at the place we had dreamed about. But then just beyond that, at the beginning, in the first part of the journey, my back went out. I got in, in an automobile accident, and we couldn't get in a home. We were homeless. And we were in the bed, not our own bed, living with another family. And at 4.30 in the morning, the tears started flowing. And we began questioning ourselves and maybe even questioning God and maybe even thinking about that other position where there would have been an office, stability, an assistant to help me, and a congregation, because all we had was a dream and a prayer. There were no members. Israel was like that. Israel was at the beginning of the journey. In fact, in the text, it says that Moses had to move them into the wilderness. Uh, the verb is a, uh, the Hebrew verb is a causative. It's in the, the hifil for some of our interns who are in seminary. And third person masculine, it's, it's requiring Moses. He's, he's pushing them into the wilderness. 
Why? Well, they had just come through the Red Sea. God had demonstrated his glory. He had, he had crushed the mightiest army in the world, delivered them. And, and so they're thinking, well, okay, we've got our freedom and uh, this feels pretty good. But a desert lay before them. And between them and the, the place where they were, and the place where they needed to be, the promised land, was the intimidating, unforgiving wilderness. And the Bible says that Moses had to, had to move them. He made them, it says. He made Israel set out. And of course they set out and on the first part of their journey, which incidentally is a very interesting phrase from... Uh, what was a, a song back in the 70s by America, A Horse With No Name. On the first part of the journey, and some, some, play, some of you don't know what it is, you're too young, others of you, uh, others of you too old, and some of you are in the middle and you remember it. And uh, some places they didn't play it. They thought it was uh, talking about a peyote experience of going into the wilderness and seeing visions. Uh, ended up that uh, Dewey Brunel, uh, who wrote the song, was a teenager living in England, and, and it was raining all the time, and uh, he was wishing, he's the son of an Air Force serviceman, he was wishing to go back to Arizona where they had been based before. He wished he could just ride on a horse with no name through the, through the wilderness, through the, through, the, uh, through the desert. And the first part of the journey in the song seems great, but by the end of the song, he turns it to where he's, he's seeing visions, he's thirsty, and he can't stand it. And that's what it was like here. They got thirsty. And there was no water on the first part of the journey until they get to this place that would be called Marah. Marah. Called that because of the meaning of the place, undrinkable water, bitter water. And they begin what would become a, a recurring echo in the wilderness. They grumbled, they murmured against Moses, against God. You've led us out here into this wilderness and we have no water. Now they had just seen God deliver them in a miraculous way. But now they see that they're following God and, and the, the joy of the graduation, the joy of the wedding, the, the joy of the acceptance letter into college, all that is behind them and now they're having to live what they've been waiting for, freedom. And it's hard. And they're going to have to trust God. And this is where God's word is no longer just a historical lesson, where God's word is certainly not a once upon a time story, but it is living truth that transcends the ages and comes down to you and me today. And what does it say? It says that wherever you are in your journey, and, and face it, all of us are always starting over. 
in one way or the other. We're always restarting the clock. We're always following God in a new phase of life. Now that I've got that behind me, okay, now I'll go forward. Now that I've graduated, now I've got a new life, a new job, now I can, now I can go forward. Now that I've retired, now I can think about the next phase of life. Now that this is behind, and this continues all through our lives as we move through uh, if Maslow's hierarchy, if you will, or as we move through uh, uh, the developmental stages of life, uh, if you prefer. And what does it say? At the end of this, God comes to them and he gives them the water. In a miraculous way, he transforms the bitter water into sweet. And then he tells them, I'm giving you a statute and I want you to follow me. And the statute comes to us, and I would put it like this, in a very simple way, trust and obey. For there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. In response to what God has done for you, Make that clear, not trust and obey in order to get something from God, but because God has delivered you from Egypt, how will you go forward now? Because God has delivered you from your sins, because God is, has delivered you from an old way of life, how do you follow God? And the answer is, in this section, trust and obey. Well, what does that look like in the passage? I would use three words to, to present this to you this morning. And the first word is listen. In fact, God says in verse, uh, in chapter 15, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes. Listen. Israel needed to learn to listen not only with their ears but with their heart. They needed to learn to trust God. They needed to learn to listen to God and to listen with their eyes, to listen with their ears, to listen with their spirit. In other words, to, to interpret in faith this God who was leading them through Moses. If you will listen to my voice. And the voice was coming to them through Moses, who had been called out in this particular way. The voice of God was coming to them, even through the, the screams of an Egyptian army who were being crushed by God's mighty uh, delivering hand at the Red Sea. 
In all these ways, God was speaking to them through special revelation and general revelation and God breaking in miraculously. Listening. Listening is a gift. Listening is also something that we have to cultivate as as Christians, as the people of God in our lives. We have to cultivate listening to God through our journey of following Him. And of course, there's, there's some side benefits to it. As we learn to listen to God, we can actually learn to listen to each other also. Listening requires that, that we observe. Listening actually requires that we not talk all the time. Certainly requires an absence of murmuring and grumbling. But observing. And yes, that hard, hard thing to do, waiting. Listening with your heart in order to follow God, in order to trust and obey, in order to move through the wilderness all the way home to the promised land. I did my pastoral internship years ago under Dr. D. James Kennedy at Coal Ridge Presbyterian Church. As a large church, they had the responsibility of many missionaries. Once a year, they had a, a tremendous missions conference, all the flags coming down, processing down, and all the missionaries processing. processing. It was a grand a conference, one that we had as well when I was senior pastor at First Presbyterian in Chattanooga. Grand conference, the highlight of the year. I asked one of the, the missionaries about his time that he spent one-on-one -on -one with Dr. Kennedy, for Dr. Kennedy would block out all of the week. There would be no counseling that week with anyone other than the missionaries. And I said, tell me about your time with Dr. Kennedy. He said, well, I, I enjoy being with Dr. Kennedy more than any other pastor in, in all of our churches. And I thought to myself, well, that's probably because I thought cynically, because it's the largest church, and that means he gets more support in a cynical way. I wasn't listening with my heart. He said, I enjoy being with Dr. Kennedy because he listens before he speaks. And he asks questions about our ministry on the field. And then he asks how the church can help. And do you know what he does? He, he writes it down, and then he gets his assistant and gets the missions pastor engaged. He says, That's, it's amazing to me that with all the other responsibilities, 
he, he listens. Well, I was not only ashamed of myself, but what he said resonated with me because as his intern, when I was with him, I always remembered that he, he listened to me. Listening is important. Listening to God. Reading his word. Hearing his word preached. Listening to him in prayer. That's how you trust and obey. That's how you move through the wilderness. Even when you're thirsty. Because when we listen, we begin to receive answers that we would not discover otherwise. Now, the other word that I would choose to describe what we see in this passage is the word learn. Not only listen, but learn. For he says, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you I put on the Egyptians. Now John Calvin says that as he reads this, he, he reads a bit of scolding by the Lord on Israel, and, and that's right. They had already forgotten how God is the Lord of life and the Lord of healing and even the Lord of judgment. And how Egypt, who had rebelled, who had failed to listen to God through their leader, the Pharaoh, suffered under the judicial punishment of God. And Israel needed to, to remember, and in remembering, learn. Learn what? Learn the ways of God. If you turn away from God, if you continue to ignore God, then you will heap upon yourself the judicial punishment of God. If you repent and you turn to God, you will see miraculous things in your life. My home church pastor, we call him Pastor Bob, Robert Baxter, we'll, we'll see him later this month, my wife and I. He, he, he preached, he's still preaching. Uh, his last call, I think he took when he was 84, he said he, he, was, he was already pastoring a church, and then he said the Lord called him to a new church that was having problems. So he left at about 84 and, and uh, to go pastor another church. It was a 
great model to me. He remains that. He told me years ago, he said, uh, he said, Mike, he said, one thing you need to learn in the ministry is how to read the providence of God. Because this way you will be able to learn how God works. Because God will often work in our lives, throughout our lives, the way he worked earlier in our lives, particularly in our ministries. And, and you'll know when to help a congregation and, and when it's time to go and to leave to help another congregation. For we're not our own, Mike. We're never to be, never to be settled until we get to heaven. We're not our own. We've, we've left all to follow him. And you, you need to learn God's ways. And God was inviting, yea, commanding Israel to study him. As you begin this journey across the wilderness, it will be hard. Only remember what you see and what you hear, the good and the bad. And then you'll be able to walk forward. And that's a lesson for all of us today. As you study the Lord, you'll be able to trust him, to obey him, to walk into the future that God has for you, wherever you are in your life. Now, listening and learning leads to living. And this is the last part of the, the sections. He says... To do these things, in verse 26, at the end, for I am the covenant name of God in Hebrew, no consonant, or all consonants, no vowels. Our Hebrew friends will not pronounce this word. Biblical scholars will call it Yahweh. Our spiritual Christian forefathers would not write it as such, and so they invented an English name in the King James, Jehovah. Also out of respect for the name. And you'll see it in your English version is all caps, L-O-R-D. It's the covenant name. And for the first time now, God reveals a new meaning to the covenant name. His people who are in covenant with him, who will receive salvation based not on what they do, but what God will do for them. You trust in God, and God will do for you what you cannot do for him yourself. And all that he requires, he will perform as you trust in him. And out of your trust and out of his graciousness to you, God calls you to obey, to follow him. And as you do, you, you enjoy the blessing, even in the desert with the hardships and, the, and this world with the difficulties and trials that, that fall on the just and the unjust alike. 
There's a new meaning now to the name. It is Jehovah Rapha. It is the Lord who heals. And how did he heal? Here, the bitter water is turned sweet by tree. Now again, John Calvin wonders, did the tree have certain chemical properties that when cast into the stream or the pool uh, miraculously, uh, but yet naturally uh, transforms the pool? I don't know. Whatever happened, it had to do so quickly for 600,000 men with their wives and their children. So that's a chemical transformation that had to happen quickly and to a large body of water. But it happened. He healed. And Peter says that Jesus bore your sins on a tree. And Peter says, by his wounds you are healed. Jesus is Jehovah, Rapha, God, the covenant name of God, our healer. And when Calvary's cross touches any bitter water in your life, it transforms the bitter into sweet. Miraculously. Where are you on your journey in following God? At the beginning of a new segment of the journey, and now it's getting hard. And maybe the difficulty in the trial is indeed health. And we are people made of body and soul. And I am the first to say, as I have encountered health problems, that as our body suffers, it can impact your spirit. This morning, I invite you, I urge you, to come to Marah, to come to the place where the bitter waters are turned sweet by an old tree, the miraculous tree on Calvary, by the God who is the covenant God, Jesus, who is our healer, our Jehovah Rapha, you come to him, you experience his healing, his love. And trust him, and yes, obey him. As we begin to walk together out this door into a new week and into a, another part of our lives, Let's pray. We confess.